Welcome to Debt Free Degree, the podcast that can help you help your teen attend college with less debt and more success. Denise's two homeschooled kids attended college on $199,000 in scholarships for four years debt free with cash left over. We're starting a movement to help all parents figure this out so you and your teen can rest easy and look forward to living the life of your dreams. Now here's your host, Denise Thomas. Hi, I'm Denise Thomas, your debt-free college coach. If you've been following me here on the Debt-Free Degree Show, you already know that I believe it takes more than just finding the money for your child to be successful in high school and college and beyond. That's why I cover more than just the typical topics of test scores, college acceptances, and scholarships. No, it takes much more than that for success, which is why I bring on experts to cover topics such as parenting, nutrition for brain optimization, and internet safety. But today, the topic being covered is important for every parent of middle through high school children. My expert today has intimate knowledge on the topic of teen suicide. You won't see it coming. And yes, your child is at risk. Stay till the end and share this important information with your friends and family. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here today with a phenomenal woman. This lady has started a movement that everyone needs to know about and everyone needs to be involved with. I'd like to introduce you to Jackie Simmons. Jackie, you have so many accolades, it's just not even funny. You're a TEDx speaker, you're a a well-known author. You've got so many things on your plate, but this one thing I feel is so important to well, to talk about, to let people know about. Why don't you give us an idea of how you came to this being a passion of yours and what you're doing with it now to basically change the world? Well, I would love to change this one aspect of the world. And as we were talking, the truth is that we have a, and we have an epidemic that nobody's talking about. People talk about the pandemic. They talk about COVID. They don't talk about the other epidemic that's changed, that's claimed way more lives than COVID. And that's suicide. Mm. The numbers around the world are staggering. In Sweden, the deaths from suicide are double the deaths from COVID. Oh my. In our military, the deaths from suicide outnumber deaths from battle. Historically, you can add all the wars together. Suicide among our military is a larger issue. Worldwide, suicide is the largest, the leading cause of death in the world with just under 800,000 in 2019 alone. That's one every 40 seconds. And here at home, in 2019, Over 2,000, pardon me, over 3,000 teens attempted to take their own lives every day. Now, that's just teens and just the ones who don't die. And that's before COVID. Getting real-time data, not so simple, but the Center for Disease Control did release the fact that 25% of our young adults here in America are struggling with suicidal thoughts and how this is double what it was two years ago. So if the struggle is double, 
We don't know if the attempts are also double. We don't know if the deaths are also double because real-time data is not available, which is one of the reasons why the Teen Suicide Prevention Society exists. We're here to collect real-time data so that we can petition governments and organizations to fund not more programs like the ones that are in existence. Because the ones that are in existence that are called suicide prevention only kick in when your child's been deemed at risk or they've had an attempt. In my mind, that's not prevention. Those are intervention programs and that's the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that we are focusing our attention on intervention and as much as that is needed. I mean, when, when your kid is on the ledge, you want somebody to be there so they can lean back because that's our motto. If you're on the ledge, lean back, let us catch you. But what we really need is prevention. We need mental and emotional resilience programming. We need more focus on emotional intelligence rather than on how do we talk them off the ledge? Both are needed, but we're talking the difference between the at risk and the, we don't know if they're at risk, which is the bigger group. As far as I'm concerned, if you just assume that everybody is at risk, you'll be safe. Wow. And now let's talk about what we can do about it. Wow. Jackie, there's so many questions that are coming to mind. One of the questions that comes to my mind is, what the hell are we doing wrong? And, and I understand that during, seriously, I'm sorry, just. No, it's great. It's a great question because that's exactly what happened in my brain. In June of 1995, right at the beginning of summer vacation, when my daughters were getting ready for their summer visit with his dad and his family one state away, we had to go shopping. I mean, I've got three teenage daughters. Shopping is the thing, right? They were in middle school and high school. We were a pretty typical, stable, middle-class American family. And my middle daughter, Stephanie, she was 14. She was in between her sisters, in between schools, and in between clothing sizes. So the shopping became an adventure. Outfit after outfit, store after store, nothing fit her. And at the end of the day, we came home with nothing except an attitude. She stomped right up the stairs to the bathroom and I collapsed on the sofa, grateful to be off my feet. <sighs> Peace and quiet. And then, mom, I think I need help. My eyes were drawn to Stephanie's left arm. Blood was dripping off her fingers onto the wood floor. The emotional part of my brain started screaming in terror at the sight of my bleeding, obviously suicidal child. The practical part of my brain started flipping through files in my head, looking for the date of her last tetanus shot. Denise, have you ever felt calm and panicky at the same time? I wrapped her in my arms and assessed the wounds and they were not life-threatening. We applied bandages, and together we made plans to visit the local mental health, the teen mental health facility the next day. When the tears finally stopped and the mutual I'm sorry's had been shared and she slept, 
I couldn't risk being away from her. So we were sleeping in the living room. And between us, her handwritten note, a promise not to harm herself again while I slept. Yeah, right. Like I was going to close my eyes that night. True. I stared into the darkness. I listened to her breathe, grateful that she was still alive. And my thoughts just whirled between what just happened. How did this happen? And who's to blame? I mean, it had to be somebody's fault, right? It's a natural place to go with what are we doing wrong? Whose fault is it? What caused it? These are the natural places our brain goes, but we're missing the point. Our brain has a natural negative bias. Mm. Suicidal thoughts are normal. Freud said that they are just part of the way we respond. They're the worst case scenario that often is part of a problem solving system. So I can't take this anymore. Suicidal thought. And it can be that ambiguous, but really that's what that is. I'm not going to live like this anymore. There's nothing wrong with this thought. It can trigger us into action. It can trigger us into change. The problem is we get stuck in it because we're afraid to share it. When a suicidal thought is not shared, it becomes part of the problem. As a matter of fact, the Center for Disease Control recognizes that not talking about suicidal thinking is in and of itself a risk factor for suicide. Wow. So here's what happens. You got a thought. You're afraid of the thought. So what do you do? You try not to think about the thought. So this is like me telling you, don't think about an elephant. What just happened? The more you try not to think the thought, the more you are actually thinking about it. It's like doubling down on it. And your subconscious mind is elegantly designed to bring you, to look for opportunities, to create opportunities, to bring you what you tell your subconscious is important. In other words, what you're thinking about. So the more you try not to think about something, especially if it's got an emotion around it, the more your subconscious mind tries to bring it about, which is why somebody who's stressed about debt ends up with more debt. Somebody who's stressed about a suicidal thought ends up with their subconscious mind making a plan for them. They don't know they've got a plan. That's why when you ask someone, do you have a plan? They say no. Guess what? That does not mean that their subconscious doesn't have a plan. It just means they're not consciously aware of it yet. And because this is why it's such a big deal with teens, the teenage brain, the prefrontal cortex, that rational reasoning part is not fully developed. Physically, it didn't get in place until they were 12 and it's not working properly until they're over 24. They don't have a pause button. Mm. So all it takes is opportunity to cross subconscious plan And this is why in the United States, our tax dollars are installing jump nets on bridges because it's that much of a problem where kids are jumping. Mm. There's no premeditated thought. Adults will usually have a premeditated plan. You know, their their clothing will be organized. They will have written a note. For kids, a lot of the time, no plan. They just, it's, it's that fast. The reality is you ask a teenage kid anything, the first words that come out of their mouth may or may not be truthful. Hmm. 
and I didn't know this until I raised teens of my own and worked with a lot of other parents of teens, that teenagers are prone to hide what they're doing. This is part of the teenage mystique. And so you don't know. You can't tell by asking and you don't know by looking. You really can't tell by looking. And that's one of the myths. The myth is, oh, I'll look for signs. Mm-hmm. Center for Disease Control's got this whole list of signs that a parent can be looking for. I didn't know the list existed until after my daughter's attempt. List doesn't do a lot of good, except produce a lot of guilt. Mm-hmm. Because, oh my God, how did I miss this? Which was one of the things I was thinking that night anyway. How did I miss this? The reality, according to Malcolm Gladwell, when he writes about talking to strangers and he writes about this confirmation bias, this bias towards believing what people tell you, we believe, we see what matches what we believe. So if you believe your kid is okay, that's what you're gonna see is all the evidence that supports the belief that your kid is okay. And none of us wanna believe our kids have a mental illness None of us want to believe, and it doesn't, by the way, mental illness is a misnomer. We all have different degrees of mental health at different moments of a day. All of us, with very few exceptions, you know, psychosis type exceptions, it's all just varying degrees of mental health, but we've made it so stigmatized by labeling it mental illness that people are not asking for help. You're right. I read an article about the five reasons people don't ask for help when it comes to facing suicidal thinking. The first one is they convince themselves it's just, I'm just down today. It's just a passing thing. Even if it's the same as yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. The second reason that people don't ask is they don't wanna worry anybody. The third reason is they don't wanna be labeled with having a mental illness. They don't wanna be labeled, stigmatized. The fourth reason is they're afraid of the 72 hour hold, which exists in many states, where if you are talking to someone who has a medical legal mandate to report, if they believe you could be at risk at harming yourself, you can be escorted and I do mean armed guard escorted to a mental health facility where they will hold you for 72 hours until you can be evaluated by a psychiatrist. And in some states, they've get, the medical profession has 72 hours to turn in your paperwork. Oh my. Be there for a while. So people don't want to risk that. They're afraid to talk about it. And I've got stories. I interviewed on the Suicide Prevention Show the director of the Suicide Institute in New York City. Now, this man talks suicide, okay? He's, you know, he's a survivor. He helps other people through this whole process. He trains. He comes in. They hire him to come in and train mental health clinical practitioners to identify the signs and to manage having these conversations about suicide. He got a new primary care doctor. He filled out his forms. The nurse looked at his forms and said, are you sure you want to answer this question this way? Because the question was, have you had a suicidal thought in the last six months? And he answered, he says, I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm a, this is what I do for a living. These are normal thoughts. Yeah. 
He's the director of the Suicide Institute and they escorted him. No way. Oh they put him in a wheelchair and they wheeled him over to the mental health intake. And thank God a nurse recognized him and said, what are you doing here? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So we've got a system that makes it very challenging for people to say, I need help, which is one of the reasons why at the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, we decided to focus not on intervention programs as much as they're needed. We focus on pure prevention programs, stigma-free solutions that people can access and get help to build their emotional resiliency without ever needing to even decide whether or not they're at risk. It doesn't matter. Well, Jackie, what's the difference between prevention and intervention? Would you wait to talk to your teenager about sex until after they were pregnant? <laughs> that would uh, cart before the horse. <laughs> would you wait to talk to your kid about drugs until after they were in rehab? Would you wait to talk to your kid about alcohol until after they'd lost their driver's license or gotten into an accident because they were driving drunk? We wait to talk about suicide for why? Yeah, That's the difference. If you wait until you know they are at risk, that's intervention. You've missed the window of opportunity for prevention. But here's the deal. We're living in a day and an age where the first sign is often an attempt mm. and they don't all survive. Not talking about suicide is playing Russian roulette with your child's life. Because they all know somebody. When people yeah. go through the four-step script with their kid, they are most parents are shocked, totally oblivious to the fact that your kid knows someone who's tried or died. I will almost guarantee it. And so that's why we wrote this script to help parents be able to have this conversation without freezing up and flaking out. You know, that's why we um, train suicide prevention advocates so that parents have support on the prevention side. There's a lot of support on the intervention side. You know, there's groups and there's chats and there's, you know, professional help. And we've got some of those programs available in the society as well. The reality is when it comes to pure prevention, oh, I don't need that. My kid is fine. Hmm. Welcome to my world. And the world, according to Jackie, FINE is an acronym. It stands for frenzied, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Yeah, your kid is just fine. They all are their teenagers. True. And unless you started teaching them about emotional intelligence when they were three, which by the way, we do have card games that do that now. Unless you started teaching them about emotional intelligence, they are not fine. They are not okay. They cannot be. No one was equipped for the COVID cocoon. None of us had the skills coming into this, what I'm now calling the COVID compression, because after a year, we are seeing the cracks in the foundation of our world. We're seeing the cracks in our infrastructure, the cracks in our educational system, the cracks in our family systems. You know, all of the weaknesses have been exposed. True. We all need more mental and emotional resilience. We just do. Well, let me ask you this, Jackie. It just, this just crossed my mind. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this. 
obviously, you know, for younger kids, this may or may not be something that they would think about, but I would think for potentially older kids, teenagers, perhaps uh, having these conversations with your children, they may at some point as teenagers who talk to other teenagers, mm -hmm. their own friends group, their own little clique, they may hear somebody say something or another friend might confide in them. And they might, you know, this might be a, a way of getting those tentacles out to other families, I would think. Oh, absolutely. And so our programs are easily shared. That's why we do them. The goal is to train 100,000 advocates. We want an advocate in every office building. We want an advocate in every school, an advocate in every classroom, ideally an advocate in every home. We all need someone to help us believe in ourselves, someone to believe in ourselves more than we believe in ourselves. That's what an advocate does. Now we call them suicide prevention advocates. Why? Because we think it's time to stop stigmatizing the word and start making it part of the conversation. Because you know somebody, we all do. By the way, knowing someone who's tried or died puts you in a higher risk category. And thanks to social media, we all know a celebrity chef, a talented singer, a gifted comedian who took their own lives. I went on a tear a year ago in the celebrity world and let them know that from my opinion, they have no right to take their own lives because everyone who knows them then has to deal with the fact that their brain will now accept suicide as a reasonable action. Not about being a copycat people, it's about resonance. And the more you revere someone, the more someone is dearly loved by the masses, the bigger the impact, the bigger the crack in the foundation of a village that they put when they take their own lives. As much as I hate to see anybody in pain, if you're going to be a celebrity, you got to step up. And if you're not going to step up, then step back and get out of the limelight before you do take yourself out. And as harsh as that may sound, it's your responsibility if you're going to be a celebrity. Wow. Yeah. I, when I first started uh, promoting what you do, because I, I think it's fabulous. And I think that everybody who hears or sees this needs to share it. it it's a very important topic. We're not talking about it, especially with our kids for crying out loud. And one of the times when I mentioned uh, what you were doing and I, you know, asked people to, to go to your site, et cetera. I mentioned the fact that everyone knows someone who has attempted or committed suicide. And one of the parents that uh, was in this forum said, my, I, my kid doesn't know anybody that has committed suicide or, or attempted suicide. And then I had to reiterate, yes, they do. And I mentioned what you explained that if they have any contact with the outside world and what about all this, you know, I hate to say it, but video games and those types of stories and stuff that children follow, there's a lot of there's been death in there and violence and yeah, you know. there, there's been a lot of this in forever. I mean, we know that kids were jumping off of bunk beds trying to be wily e. coyote. True. <laughs> okay. You know, they, they were not attempting to take their own lives. There's a big difference between violence that's outwardly directed 
and the violence in our own heads that's mm. inwardly directed. An outward bully can be tolerated. The internalized bully is deadly. And that's why the talking is so critically important because when we are left to our own devices, we can get a negative echo chamber in our own head. And the thought just bounces. You know, that's what worry is. Worry robs us of our today. Suicide robs us of our tomorrow. And that's why we're here. Now, we believe that while suicide is certainly serious, that suicide prevention can be seriously fun. Because it is. If you are having fun, I don't have to worry about you being on the edge. If you are focused on where you can make a difference in the world, if your purpose has tapped you on your shoulder, I know that you're not going to be standing on the ledge. You know, these are the natural facts. So there are systems that help you focus on, and I hate to say this, but really on what's so good about your life. And with the recognition that if you go ask a kid what's so good about your life, they're going to tell you nothing. <laughs> because that's the knee-jerk natural negative bias. So we wrote the script to get around that. The four-step script is science-based, super short, and it's designed to work with the teenage brain. So it's designed, one, it's designed to alert the parent when intervention is necessary, when it's needed. It's also designed to save the parent from the guilt nightmare that I lived. It's also designed to build mental and emotional resiliency, both in the teen and in the adult. And so that's why we're a big advocate of have the talk about suicide. That's the drum. Jackie, you've uh, you've done something pretty amazing uh, in the last couple of months that I think that I know that I want to share and I want people to know about. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I'm pretty impressed. The last couple of months. Gee, you must be talking about standing on a stage in Las Vegas. On our big, giant red dot. <laughs> I call that rocking the dot. <laughs> and you did. And this is important because there's a lot of confusion in the world. TEDx is an independently organized event under the TED organization. Now a TED talk, these are the ultra vetted invitation only, you know, $6,000 a seat to sit in the audience. That's a TED talk. They are amazing. These people are incredibly skilled. And then there's TEDx. TEDx is where someone independently says, I will organize an event. And TED says, we'll help you. We'll give you the guidelines. We'll give you the structure. We'll give you exactly how to do it. Have fun. So I, I was, and along with somebody else I know, you, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, on the stage in Las Vegas in January 2021. The journey to that stage, I actually turned into a course because I think anyone who has an idea worth spreading deserves a roadmap to get it out into the world. And I went into it pretty clueless. So from clueless to conquering, um, that's really the journey that the TEDx stage was for me. Three weeks from stage, I hated my script. 
I absolutely hated it. And I reached out to a friend, his name is Roger Killen, and Roger had been a TEDx organizer for several years. And I said, hey, Roger, yo, would you read my script and tell me what you think? And he said, sure, and he read my script and he said, Jackie, it's good content and it's not gonna inspire anybody. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't inspire me. Will you help me? And he said, yeah. So with less than three weeks to go before the stage, we ripped my script down to the bare bones and rebuilt it based on story. Wow. I use a lot of mindset tools and I had just come across a new one, which is, we all share this with the world because as far as I'm concerned, between the coaching from Roger Killen and the emotional Teflon where my emotions were under my control the day that I stood on that stage. Between those two things, I had a lot of support, not to mention a great community because TEDx Tenea Paseo in Vegas is a great community of speakers from all over the world. There's no, um, there's no wrong way to get to a TEDx stage. There's no right way. There's just your way. But there are a lot of things that make it easier. And so that's what I put together and launched in a course that's actually coming out uh, this week. So people will be able to reach out to me. I will send that information far and wide as well. Because again, I think everybody's got a message worth spreading, a message worth sharing, a message that matters. You're 100% correct. I know that when I was about to go on the stage for my talk uh, at that same red dot, I had a couple of girlfriends that were planning to watch live online and they reached out and said, okay, so we're going to be there all day watching, but you know, which talks should we, you know, other than yours, obviously, which one should we be watching? And I said, all of them, if you can possibly be there, because every one of these people has a message that you need to hear. And I, I always point to you, Jackie, it's, it's a phenomenal message that it's not just hearing, it's doing, it's something that they need that everyone needs, everyone influences other people. Mm. You may not realize it if you, even if you don't have children in your own life, <coughs> excuse me, even if you don't have children in your own life, if you have, uh, if you go to a church, there's children there that, you know, you are, you know, witnessing to, or you, maybe you're teaching a, a Bible study or what have you, or you know people with children or grandchildren, you're still part of the solution. And mm -hmm. when you're armed with this knowledge, you know, and, and that's what I think is necessary. People need to be armed with this knowledge. It's easy to hide from it. It really is. And that's what happened is that for over 20 years after my daughter's attempts, you know, counseling, therapy, medications, interventions, hospitalizations, we did it all. And as long as she was getting professional help, it was easy for me to sell myself on the idea. We didn't need to talk about it. After all, why bring that up again? And would you want to know what could cause your kid so much mental and emotional pain that they thought dying was better than living? I didn't want to know. So I didn't ask. I stayed silent. 
And it was a silence that lasted 23 years. And then August 3rd, 2019, my daughter broke the silence. The day of her talk was sunny and already hot. The hotel was on the outskirts of Sarasota, Florida. I walked in and greeted the 12 speakers that I had trained to deliver messages that matter. Everything worked. The videographer was set, the projector worked, the microphone worked, and Stephanie was getting into that nervous, excited state you get in right before you give a talk. Denise, she looked amazing in her dark blouse and flowery skirt and her hair was pulled back and combed. I'm super proud of my daughter. She was first up on the speaker's roster and the audience took their seats and the lights dimmed. Everyone help me welcome Stephanie Ashton. That was the day that my purpose tapped me on my shoulder. She started her talk with that statistic. Mm. Over 3,000 teens will attempt to take their lives today in the US. In the back of the room, I'm shocked twice. I mean, one, I had no idea the numbers were that high. And two, I had no idea suicide was her topic. Mm. She continued with, when I was 14, after a bad day of shopping, I stood in my bathroom. The pain of not fitting into any clothes was just more proof that I didn't fit in anywhere. And that pain was more than I could bear. So I took a razor and cut into my left arm, trying to end the pain and my life. In the back of the room, the blood drains out of my face. Have you ever been hijacked by a bad memory? Mm. Only my 30 years of stress management training keeps me from crawling across the floor into the corner and just bawling. Stephanie continued. It wasn't my only attempt. There were others. Wow. And outside of professional help, we've never really talked about it. I've never really talked about it, especially not with mom. It was too awkward, too painful, too easy to avoid. Mom and I had other talks. Mom and I had the talk about sex. Mom and I had the talk about drugs. Mom and I had the talk about alcohol. And then I went to college on a dry campus. That means the kegs were hidden in the showers of the girls dorm. Mom and I had the talk about alcohol more than once, but we never had the talk about suicide. And I still struggle with suicidal thoughts. In the back of the room, I went from pale to bone cold as I realized the struggles that my daughter had had to face alone because I didn't have the courage to have the talk about suicide. That moment grabbed me. And Stephanie, wound up her talk. Along my suicide avoidant journey, I've learned tons of coping skills. Now I wanna help teens learn these skills before they need them, before they need them. 
where there wasn't a dry eye in the house, including mine. They stood up, they gave Stephanie a standing ovation and people rushed up and hugged her and thanked her for being so brave, so willing, so vulnerable. And in the back of the room, I was frozen in place, totally torn between pride for her bravery and shame and guilt for my sadness, my, my cowardice. Yeah, I was sad, but it was my cowardice that was triggering me. And then, Denise, it hit me. 3,000 teens a day attempt to take their own lives. That means 6,000 parents start to live the guilt nightmare that I live. That means over 20,000 grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters start to live the guilt nightmare every day. And that means every day, hundreds of thousands of classmates, teachers, boyfriends, girlfriends, neighbors, start to live the guilt nightmare, probably all just as blindsided by it as I had been. And then I wondered, what if Stephanie was right? What if the key to ending teen suicide was as simple as having the talk about suicide before they need it, before your kid starts to struggle with suicidal thoughts? That's so simple and obvious that the professionals tripped over it. You know, simple and obvious, like putting wheels on luggage, you know, putting ketchup in squeezable bottles, you know, simple, obvious. After that event, Stephanie and I decided to work together. Who knew that could happen? <laughs> Along with her sisters, we co-founded the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. And our research taught us that suicide prevention is not about intervention and it's not about at risk anybody and it's not about waiting for signs. It's prevention. It is simply having the talk about suicide before you think they need it. So we started training parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends to have the talk about suicide. It's a simple, structured, scripted talk. We share that script with anyone who wants to have it. We set up the society. It's absolutely free to join. And what we've learned is that this talk saves lives. Our students share their stories with us. Raphael works with underprivileged teenage girls. And he shared that the talk about suicide has saved 16 lives so far. Wow. It hasn't even been a year. Hasn't even been a year. Tammy had the talk with her troubled son. They cried together. And then he accepted professional help. The talk about suicide is important and easy and simple, and it will save you from a guilt nightmare. So we highly recommend it. Matter of fact, we say, don't wait. Break the silence. Have the talk. I love it. I love it, Jackie. And I'm really hoping that people will take heed and share this video, share this audio, however you're, you're getting it from me, and go to the website. Get oh, Jackie's watch resources. The, watch the TEDx talk because in the TEDx talk, I give the entire script. So awesome. they can 
the the entire four step script right there in the TEDx talk. Fantastic. Well, we're going to have this uh, this planted earlier than the TEDx release. But as soon as it's released, I will add that uh, that information, add the link to the TEDx talk in the description. So please let us know and share this. Share this opportunity. Every family needs to know about this. Thank you so much, Jackie. I do appreciate you being on with us today. This has Thank been great. You. Thank you so much, Denise. Hugs to you. Thanks for listening to the show. Please rate and review the podcast, download and share with friends. You can go to debtfreedegreepodcast.com for more info and free downloads. Once again, that's debtfreedegreepodcast.com. See you next time.